Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another very special edition of Beyond the Album Cover with Jarrell Mason, or known as Jay Mace, where not only do I interview people inside the music and entertainment industry, I interview people from all walks of life because everybody has two sides to every story. So side A and side B. So Beyond the Album Cover, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So I have a good friend of mine who, like me, is a Spartan of University of North Carolina at Greensboro. We've known each other for years, have a lot of mutual friends. He is a good father, family man, uncle, brother, and a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So shout out to all the BGLO members on there. And if you like to get some good spirits and some good narratives over wine and whiskey, check out his podcast, The Narrow Podcast, with my good brother, good friend, my fellow Spartan alum, the one, the only, Mr. Daryl Daniels. And also of you got a branded company, right? Go ahead and plug that really fast. Go go ahead and unmute your mic. My man, I appreciate you, Jay. Um, yeah, I I am definitely doing a lot right now. So I'll give you a bit of background on me and take you to, to my current state. Um, so originally from Durham, North Carolina, born and raised. Um, had the privilege, my parents uh, made the the tough sacrifices of driving us to school a lot of the times because we went to school in Chapel Hill, even when we did not live in the district. Because at the time, Durham schools were just terrible. I mean, there was a lot of violence coming out of Durham at that time. I don't know if you remember, but there was actually, when we, when we got to college, there was a documentary called Welcome to Durham. And that documentary really honed in on the gang violence that was going on in Durham at the time. Like you couldn't even wear a white t-shirt to, to um, some of the, most of the high schools because they associated that with, you know, being a part of a gang, you know, you'd have your white tee on your flag and they'd be like, oh yeah, so he, uh, he's a blood or he's a crip or he's folk or, or however it went. Um, and so my parents said, nah, you're going to school in Chapel Hill because in Durham, if your cousins get into a fight with a group of people, you're going to jump in with them. Um, and I mean, that, that that was the reality of the situation. And so while I, I did not like it at the time, I got a world-class education, um, basically a private school quality education for no money. Um, so that was that was certainly a blessing. After high school, went to UNCG where, where we got to meet man and become friends. Had an amazing, amazing experience at UNCG uh, from being a, a resident advisor in Reynolds, dorm um Phil dorm i think where else was i i lived in tower village um i moved off campus for a year but yeah i, I had actually my my first uh ca we called it our first year but then it changed to ra toward like the end of our, our college experience was uh one of your former guests jd so you know brother alpha alpha as well and um he was my ca and then i became the ca in the room that he was in when I was becoming a brother of Alpha Phi Alpha. So that was, uh, that was kind of, you know, it, it was destined to be. Um, but after undergrad, uh, ended up going to Charlotte for about five years. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, Desiree, and I met in college at UNCG. And so we moved to Charlotte and we said, you know, we're going to try to make it here. It's the biggest city in North Carolina. Um, and we had a really, really great experience there professionally, personally. We grew a lot, made a lot of friends. Um, my brother moved down. Um, and so we, yeah, had, had an amazing experience down in Charlotte. Then, um, just because we had both lost parents early, her mom got ill. My father had passed right after we graduated from undergrad. We decided to move back to Durham to be closer to family because she was from Durham as well. We just didn't meet each other until we got to, uh, to UNCG, but yeah, we moved back to Durham and we've been here for the past, well, we've been married for six years. So we've been here for the past seven years now, I think, um, and yeah, yeah, really, really excited to talk with you today. Um, and just, you know, I'll, I'll throw some gems in there. It'll be, it'll be a fun combo. Yeah, definitely that. And I want to bring up real quickly, you mentioned being raised in the Bull City, which is uh, Durham yeah. for those that don't know. And I didn't know that until recently about the history of Durham being played in the civil rights movement and beyond yeah. with... Uh, with SNCC being founded, uh, Black Wall Street and Knife Wonder yeah. was breaking down the history of Wellington Duke and Duke and then the secret game that Duke and Central played with uh, Coach yep. McClendon and just how, and also the best of enemies with uh, 
Miss Miss mm-hmm. Annie and just yep. how Derm really played a pivotal role in civil rights relations. And can you expound upon that more, being that you're a native of Durham? Oh yeah, man. Um, it's it's very interesting. We do have this current resurgence of a a sort of Black Wall Street within Durham. And it's interesting because when we think about back in the day, Black Wall Street was supported by Black people. Um, financially, we were the ones who were the pillars of those institutions. You know, you have North Carolina uh, Mutual, which is a Black-owned bank. Excuse me. Yeah. No. Excuse me. Mechanicans Farmers is the Black-owned bank, um, which is still running to this day. I have an account with them. Um, then North Carolina Mutual is a life insurance. Um, it was the largest African-American life insurance company in the United States at its uh, peak. Um, prior to the, you know, the gentrification and redlining that happened in the community, they ended up putting a highway right through the Haytai community, which was a very, very solid, strong black community in Durham. Um, and that happened across the country. You know, they, they break up the, the black wealth so that we couldn't continue to build higher and higher and higher. Um, very systemic. But I grew up actually in White Rock Baptist Church, which is a the most um, historic church in Durham, Martin Luther King has preached or had preached there before. And it was uh, rumored that, you know, when he was assassinated, he, well, this is true. This is fact. When he was assassinated, he was going to work on a sanitation worker strike in Memphis, but he was supposed to be in Durham that weekend uh, or that week. And so, you know, he decided, Hey, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to Memphis. I'm going to help these workers. But had he had, you know, the plans gone according to plan, he would have been actually in, in my city and likely would not have gotten assassinated, at least not on that day. So Durham has is full of history. Um, some amazing, amazing men and women really shaped the community. And then you got, you know, of course, university as well, like, you know, world renowned um, science, hospital, engineering programs. So Durham is, is full of wealth. But but when you're talking about Black Wall Streets, you know, you hear Tulsa tossed around a lot. But Durham was was equally um, impactful when you're talking about black people and building wealth. Mm-hmm. And also can't forget uh, Pastor Shirley Caesar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, um, you got you got a ton of people. I'm trying to think. Um, what's my what's my man's name? He's an attorney. Um, gosh. So I worked at the School of Law at North Carolina Central, which mm-hmm. was the number one public school of law for quite some time. And it just happens to be an HBCU as well. And so, I mean, you've got, you've just got so much wealth in Durham and so many inspirational people who've come out of this community that really make you want to, uh, to be better and know that you have a legacy to uphold. Mm-hmm. And I grew up an hour, 30 minutes north of Durham yeah. in uh, Gaston, North Carolina, which is the 252 area of North oh, Carolina. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, it's very rural. Textile was big at one point in time. And once the textile mills went away, so did a lot of the jobs and, you know, high rates of people living at or below the poverty line and not really much success. And I want to know, are you familiar with the movie uh, Norma Ray with Sally Field? I'm not familiar with it. All right. So it's about this woman who attempts to start a union at a textile mill and actually, that was based on the real life of Crystal Sutton, who was from Runner Rapids. And hmm. this was at the J.P. Stevens plant in Runner Rapids. And a little bit of personal connection with that, because my granddad used to work at the J.P. Stevens plant as a machine operator. And after she moved from Runner Rapids, she lived for years in and around Alamance County. I think she yep. went to school at ACC Alamance Community College before mm-hmm. passing away. So just our state is just rich in history. We're more known than just the birthplace of Michael Jordan, Pepsi, Texas Pete, and being the first in flight. Yeah, man. Um, actually, speaking of the 2-5, so my uh, my mother's from 252. Um, she's from a small town. Um, you know you know of Kinston. Yeah, basketball, yeah, so Haven, she, Cornbread, yeah, Maxwell, yeah. and all those guys. Um, Jerry Stackhouse played that. Yeah, yeah. So she's from Kinston. Uh, or excuse me, she, she's from she was born in Kinston, but raised in Trenton, okay. um, Jones County. So, I mean, yeah, 252 is big. And there is a there is a wealth of land there, but not a, a lot of uh, um, money being put into it. And so, you know, hopefully we can we can get that turned around. 
Yeah, definitely that land is wealth. And speaking of land, I want to touch on Soul City. So for those of you that don't know about Soul mm-hmm. City, it yeah. was a planned utopian development that was going to start in North Carolina. This was back in the 60s, 70s, I want to believe. Uh, I got a book on it, haven't read it yet. And um, Eva Clayton worked on Soul City, but I used to pass by the marker for Soul City all the time, going on 158 before hitting 85, yeah. going to school in uh, Greensboro. So do you think that we are kind of at the moment now at a country seeing how so divided we are politically and then with the vaccine issue and everything that we're kind of going to get to the point where, okay, we need to build our own so that we could kind of sort of self-segregate? Um, yeah. So. While I am not a uh, segregationist out of hate, uh, I am one out of self-preservation. Uh, I, you know, I have a son now. I have a wife. Um, I understand that while we can live in unity, um, it would take white Americans deciding that you know what we want a more equitable society. Um, the the rate at which black people that, that at which black lives are taken at the hands of police officers and no one is held accountable right mm-hmm. that's a um that's a, a problem for me the rate at which black women are dying um in the maternity wards of, of this country that's a problem for me the number of businesses in black communities that are not black owned is a problem for me Um, If we want to survive, if we want to build wealth, if we want to pass things on from generation to generation, um, while it's, it's, I think that we all benefit from a diverse experience, um, diverse educational experience. I also know that I cannot place diversity over preservation. Mm -hmm. And that being said, until white America decides that it would like to relinquish the stronghold of power economically and socially and within the justice system over black people. I don't believe that, that we can truly progress as one nation. And so does it mean that we have to, um, to, like you said, self-segregate and split up? Um, I, I, I don't want us to have to, but I don't see another option if power is not going to be shared. Mm-hmm. So America just need a good old restore the factory settings. Like you press that button <laughs> on the back of your phone, just wipe the memory clean, start fresh. And I want to know how did UNCG come on your radar? And then also given the climate we're in now, we're seeing an increase enrollments in HBCUs, pretty much the weight, the rates that we haven't seen since the days of a different world where enrollments were spiking at HBCUs. Yeah. So uh UNCG. It's interesting. I applied to four schools when I was in high school, my senior year, um, did very well on the SATs. Um, actually, my SAT score was um, within whatever high percentile, um, but I went to a school in Chapel Hill, right? Bittersweet, right? I went to a school where a bunch of the kids' parents were doctors and lawyers. I graduated with like a 3.3 GPA, I think, um, unweighted. I was in the bottom half of my class. So, I mean, that just speaks to the caliber of students that I'm that I'm going up against. And so out of the I got got into three out of my my four um, schools, did not get into my number one pick, which was UNC Chapel Hill. Um, decided I didn't want to go to NC State because it was a little too close to home. Um, UNC Charlotte was a little further from home and I didn't have a car at the time. But UNCG was right at that sweet spot, um, not to mention, as as you probably well remember, the male to female ratio at UNCG was uh, was set just right for me. And so um, at that time, it was about 70% women because UNCG, as you and I both know, everybody might not know, used to be North Carolina Women's College. And so they have a lot of professions that were um, were initially and originally uh, seen as, as women's jobs. You know, they had a great, they have an, an amazing educational program, which Traditionally, though, it's no longer the case, was a, seen as a woman's job back in the day. They had a great nursing program, which once again was seen as a, a woman's job. And so you have a higher number of women at the school. And I'm like, OK, cool. If it's and they have a great arts program. So I'm like, OK, it's, it's 70 percent women. 
30% men, um, you know, I can bank on half 10% of the guys maybe don't even like women. So now I'm sitting here looking at a crazy, crazy number of girls I can talk to. So that, I mean, honestly, not the best reason to pick a school, but I found my wife there too. So also not the worst reason, I guess. Hey man, two for the price of one, great education. And you got, <laughs> and you got your, your future wife to be because they do tell you orientation. Look to the left, look to the right. Some of y'all won't be here by spring semester. And you also may mm-hmm. find your better half there. And also UNCG had 24 seven visitation for the dorms. Other schools didn't have that because you would have that no. guard at the door, making sure that uh, you were in the dorm by this time, not at UNCG. But um, I'm going to be, honest and tell you a little bit about how I came to UNCG because originally I wanted to go to Carolina that was my dream school ever since I was a kid Tar Heels fan but what changed for me was I had a cousin that went to Carolina it was telling me you can apply if you want to but if you're this it's going to be a little bit more difficult try to navigate at a PWI for those you don't know what PWI is that's predominantly white institution and so I enrolled in a program called Upward Bound. For those of you that's mm-hmm. not familiar with Upward Bound, that's for first-generation college students, and it helps them get acclimated to what a college environment would be like. And we would take a campus tour every Friday. UNCG was on the list. And the guide was actually from my hometown, graduated years, a couple of years before I did, and um, from my high school, and gave the tour to campus. And I was sold on the spot. For UNCG. So I applied to UNCG, AT, Winston-Salem State, had my application for East Carolina down in Greenville. But what ended up happening was UNCG was my first choice. And I got in first try. So once I did that, I was like, case closed, it's a done deal. I'm gonna go to UNCG. But I thought I wasn't gonna get in because my SAT score was a 680. But mm-hmm. my GPA was over 3-0, I was ranked middle of my class. But I think what saved me was this is the art of networking and shooting your shot, for real, for real. So I was in a restaurant called Mayflower in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Yeah. And great seafood, by the way. And oh, yeah. we're going right. in, in 919. Yeah. It's great, most, great food. Most <laughs> definitely. And if you are a college student, take advantage of those student discount deals. So long story short, the former superintendent of my school system was eating two tables down. And I told my mom and my stepdad, that's the superintendent of my school system. Uh, do you think I should go to him to get a college recommendation? And they were like, sure. So I went up politely. And a couple of days later, I had a recommendation for UNCG. Mm. Wow. Yeah, networking, man. I'm, that's how I've got been, um, you know, humbly speaking, though I, I am nowhere near where I want to be. Most of my professional success uh, be it entrepreneurial or um, in a career and employee uh, phase of life has been through networking. Um, it's been knowing people, treating people right. Um, like my opportunities are almost always based on um, who I know and the fact that, you know, I treated them with respect and, and with some, some dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to yeah. step on people on your way up because you don't know if mm-hmm. you're going to need them when you're on your way down. But I want to know from your perspective, did you experience any culture shock coming into UNCG interacting with, you know, different ethnicities? Because I know for me, personally speaking, it was a huge culture shock because my area of the state and my high school was predominantly African-American. You could count the number of white students on your fingers. And I had 84 seniors in my graduating class. So it was a huge steep learning curve for me coming from small rural North Carolina to the triad. So, so for me there, I, I actually can say that I, I did not have any culture shock um, and more background on me. So my dad's family is up in uh, New York and New Jersey. So I used to spend my summers up there. Um, so I was actually very used to seeing people of all ethnicities from around the world. Um, you know, I would see people who just didn't speak English um, very, very frequently. Um, and not just talking about people who spoke Spanish, but, you know, French and, and Arabic and, you know, um, Swahili. Like, you know, when you're in a city like New York, you're dealing with, you're on the, the subway with people who speak Mandarin and Cantonese and all of these things. And so the culture shock was not there from a people perspective, but it was the first time I had been in a classroom with such a diverse setting. Mm. 
um, going to school in Chapel Hill, you didn't get that. Um, being in Durham, you know, I, I go to church on Sundays or I chill in the hood. Um, you know, you didn't get that. You didn't get the diversity of opinion that you had in the classroom and that that true, true, um, you know, not not even a melting pot. Um, I don't I don't like when people call America a melting pot because it kind of it makes it seem like we blend together. But it's like a salad. Right. We all have our individual flavors. We don't blend as much as we um, we have our own pronounced points. And so I think that UNCG was that um, it was being in a classroom with people from around the world because you did have the international students. Um, I was actually an RA in Phillips Hawkins, which was the international dorm as well. Um, and so you have people from around the world talking about their perspectives. And that was, uh, I think that was the classroom culture shock that I never had. Um, usually I was the only black kid in my class um, when I was in high school, when I was in my, uh, my advanced courses, maybe there was another one, but um, I think that, um, yeah, I really, really believe the classroom culture shock and that, that difference of thought and opinion that, that was powerful. Um, and actually, UNCG, I am currently on the, um, the board of directors for the business school and the general university. It's no longer a PWI. Um, now UNCG is a minority serving institution is what it's uh, classified as. It is the most diverse um, school in the UNC system with less than 50% white students and more than 50% minorities. So, I mean, it is, it is truly, I think, a beacon for what an equitable educational institution should look like. Um, that isn't an HBCU. I believe in HBCUs being HBCUs, but when you're talking about letting in people of a diverse background in a state as diverse as North Carolina with um, about what, I think it's 21 or 22% um, African-Americans, UNCG is really leading the way in that. Yep, Spartan Pride. And also I consider us to be HBCU adjacent with A&T being oh, yeah. right up the street and then a couple minutes up 40, once in Salem State, then you're within a not too far of a drive from all of the schools in the RTP area and also Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, man. So you've got uh, all these HBCUs. I mean, you've got what in this area, Central, St. Aug, Shaw. Shaw. Yep, in Charlotte, you've got um, Johnson C. Smith. Um, so yeah, you, uh, you got Fayetteville state, you got Elizabeth city, um, North Carolina definitely has a wealth of, ama- Oh, you got Bennett in, in Greensboro. Let's not forget them. Shout out mm. to the bells. Um, so yeah, you've got a wealth of amazing, um, black institutions with some, some very, very strong history, um, that really shaped America. Like if you look up some of the alumni from these schools, all of these schools, you got some amazing individuals who are are still doing and have done great things for not only our, our communities locally, but our state and our nation, our actually our, our world. Mm-hmm. Jesse also- Jackson, right there at um at uh Jesse Jackson was at A and T. Um, the honorable Lewis, honorable Minister Lewis Farrakhan went to Winston Salem State University. Um, so I mean, you've got some some really big big names. Mm, and also uh, Livingstone down in Salisbury. Mm-hmm. But while yep. touching on A&T, your boy J.R. Smith is an Aggie. Right. He's uh, teeing up for the golf team. He uh, penned a piece <laughs> for the undefeated, talking about his love of uh, Bowberry biscuits. Man, I need to actually uh, find a way to get in touch with, with J.R. So um, the Bryan School has its uh, annual scholarship or yeah, scholarship golf tournament. Uh, during homecoming now even though uncg's homecoming got canceled this year the golf tournament is still on because one it's a scholarship event two it's outdoors completely and three it's not drawing large crowds um so i decided as a member of the board i was gonna make a donation i'm using my business daniel's development and branding llc to sponsor a whole um the sponsorship money goes directly to a student scholarship so i'm very excited about it thing is with the sponsorship you end up getting a golf team your boys never played a, a round of golf ever. <laughs> so I'm going to go out. I've got, I've got a set of clubs. I'm going to go out there. I have a good time. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably going to embarrass myself, but I, I need to get J.R. Smith's number so he can be like my fourth player. Like I need that, that last player to just, just go ahead and take care of the, the win for me. So if y'all know Mr. Smith, brother Smith, J.R. Smith, uh, my boy, actually Carl Hairston, he is uh, one of the assistant athletic directors at A&T. Carl, can you please get me JR's number? Cause I need a good fourth. Yeah. And also bring him a plate of Stephanie's and find some men's grill Ooh. wing sauce. 
man, it, don't even mention Minge, bro. I miss Minge so badly. Like that was the spot in in college. That sauce. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. That sauce. If you know, you know. That sauce was crack. Man, man. And people like the thing is every few months i'll see somebody put on twitter or facebook or instagram you know don't y'all miss minge and i can almost taste it still like that's how powerful those wings were yes but one spot in greensboro that i never had during my five years at g was maxi b's oh man yeah um i definitely went there a couple of times it was a nice little date spot uh it's got some some great uh great dessert so yeah that's that's you, next time you come home you gotta go bro but for sure, and what you would do if you had a little bit of money when that refund check hit, this before direct <laughs> deposit where you had to go to the campus mailbox and look and see if that refund check come in or do that buyback hustle where, hey, I need $100. Let me go sell my book back. And if you had enough money, you will order stakeout. But you only did it on special occasions, though, especially if you oh, were man. trying to impress a lady friend and your roommate was gone for the weekend. Man, I... Uh... Yeah, UNCG, man, I had some I had some amazing, amazing times there. Or get your refund check, head straight to Four Seasons Mall, try to get fresh in the uh the Jerbo jeans. For me, I was I was uh I was still on the Dickies, the fitteds, the the polos, extra long heavy. white tees. Um, oh yeah, man. The the uh the Nikes with the high tops. Like, you know, I was um I was very, and I mean, I don't know if I'm pushing this forward, but can I go into the, the dip yeah, set go conversation? Ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. So go yeah, ahead. so I was very, very um, heavily, my style was very influenced by Dipset when I was in high school. Um, mixture, you know, some sometimes Dipset, sometimes Kanye, but I was uh, more often than not, I would be found in a pair of Dickies, some high top um, Nikes, maybe some Forces or something, um, and and a fitted. And so like that was that was my style. So when when I would get my refund check because I I didn't have money growing up. Like I worked, um, so I I earned my money. I, I hustled. I sold you know chips out of my backpack. I remember, you remember those little like barrels of ju- juices. Like, oh, the juice little barrels? huggies. The little huggies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, and when I was in in uh, middle school and high school, they call them Daryl's barrels, and I'd be sitting there selling those little juice barrels like out of my backpack. I would find ways to make money so that I could get fresh. Um. And get fresh to me was whenever I would go up to New York for the summer, I would like buy, just buy like the freshest stuff I could find. Like, I would f- buy like tall tees. And um, I remember there was one uh, t-shirt and it was a basically a Raisin Bran box of cereal, but instead mm-hmm. it said Raisin Grands. And then it had like one scoop of Hustle where, you know, the Raisin Bran said like one scoop of raisins. I, I was just trying to get like, like New York City fresh because Dipset was like that. I was like, yo, these are these are the guys who have style swag like that's who i would say uh, as far as like celebrity um uh, not role models celebrity role models i was like yo they're fresh they can spit um they got they got style so dipset was my was my crew in my in my mind like that's you know i was rocking with jim jones real heavy um like like I, I rock with Cameron, rock with Jewels, but like I, I felt like I could relate to Jim because he was not supposed to be where he was as far as being a rapper. He was supposed to be a hype man, but he said, "Yo, no, I'm, I want to, I want to get in this lane. I'm gonna find a way to get better in this lane." And I think that he's he's truly done that. Um, and so I, I asked if I can go ahead and jump into the Dipset thing because I ended up going to the Dipset Locks versus, as you saw, um, and it was so. You know, Desiree and I had a um, son five months ago now. So this was four months into him being born. And um, I was like, I was like, yo, babe, I really, really, really want to go to the Dipset Locks show because I'm already a big Dipset fan. I've seen them in concert before, but I'm also a Locks fan. I'm a big, big Jada fan, especially. Um, and I had never seen Jada or the Locks in concert. They had come to Richmond this summer, um, but I didn't get a chance to go up there to see that, that show. So I was like, you know, I want to go up to New York. Um, at the time, I had been vaccinated, one, uh, and I still am vaccinated, of course, but I, I was vaccinated at that time, and Delta variant wasn't a, a point of conversation. So I was like, yo, I'm good, because I'm thinking, you know, once you got the vaccine, you can you can do what you want to do. You can move a little bit more freely, and everybody in the building had to have the vaccine. So she was like, you know what? Go ahead. So I copped a ticket. I copped the ticket in the back of the arena, $35, sitting in section 303. 
Um, Cause I just wanted to be in the building with the energy. Like I wanted to be in New York when two of New York's realest crews go at it head to head. So caught my ticket, fly up to New York. Um, I fly up to New York and get there at like five o'clock in the evening. I go have some drinks with uh, a couple of my fraternity brothers, two of my line brothers, one of my neos. Um, and then I go to the show. I get to the show right before it starts. And I'm like, yo, I want to take a picture by the stage. So I walk with confidence down to the very front. And I'm, I'm right there. I'm in front of the arena. Um, it's in Madison Square Garden in the Hulu Theater. And so I go, and I'm like, yo, I'm going to take a selfie at the stage. And I'm going to go to my seat. And then I get up there and I'm, I'm looking around. I'm like, well, you know, I'm already up here. Let me just move around. There was a bar backstage. I was like, I'm going to get a drink real quickly. So I walked to the backstage bar and grab a Jameson, um, you know, Irish whiskey. And then I'm like, I'm already up here and the DJs are spinning. I'm just going to stay up here and see, you know, what the, what the vibes are looking like. And then I see a seat in the very front row. And I'm like, nobody's sitting here. You know what? I'm going to try it. I lied to you not, bro. I paid for a $45 ticket in the back of the arena. The entire show, I'm sitting front row. Behind me to the right is Fabulous. Behind me to the left and a little bit diagonal is Fat Joe. So I'm I'm ahead of like celebrities. The only row was in, that was in front of me was Timberlands. And that's because he is one of the creators of Versus. And so they had to set out a special row for him so that he would be right there at the stage. But like I, I went from having paying for a $45 seat to sitting in a seat that was, I looked it up later, $1,056. I mean, oh, it was, it was an amazing experience. Got to see two of my favorite groups. And even though Dipset fumbled the rock, I think, um, it still was really, really cool to be in that energy and to see all of New York, like the crowd just really, really um rocking with with the fact that you know, these two could come together in this space, go head to head, and it'd be all love. Right. Jada was on his purple diamond Pokemon card that night, bro. Man, well, Jada, I think Jada, um, I don't know if you saw the one with uh, Jada and Fab. Uh, yeah, I saw that um, Yeah, so Jada killed, I mean, I, I'm a big Fab fan too. Like, so when, when I'm sitting there in front of Fabulous, I'm like, yo. And I talked to Fab or whatever, dapped him up. He was cool. Um because he was there with his wife or girlfriend. I don't know if they're married yet, but whatever. He was there with Emily B. And so talked to Fab for a second. Um, but Jada and Fab ended up going head to head. And Jada, I think Jada likes being the underdog. Like, that's what I've realized. He likes being, because, you know, everybody's like, yo, Fab's got hits. Same thing you talked about Dipset, right? Dipset has the hits. Like, these, the groups that have the club hits or the acts that have the club hits, you're thinking, yo, they're going to win it easily. The thing is, right? Jada was like, no, nah, I'm going to take y'all to the streets. Like, I'm going to keep it real gutter. And if you try to come here with me, you're going to lose. And that's what happened with Dipset. Um, that's what happened with Fabulous. Like, Jada is that guy, I think, who um, who likes being underestimated. Um, he has an album called Top 5 Dead or Alive. And as far as lyrically, I mean, lyrical mainstream artist, he can arguably make that uh, that statement. And you really will have to look at his body of work and say, yo, lyrically? He might not have he might not have the the um, billboard hits, but he definitely has the lyricism to to you know carry himself in that conversation. Right, because when I looked at the battle between Dipset and Locks, you could tell from the Locks how them being under Diddy at Bad Boy really mm -hmm. really helped them out because they were really giving people a show while Dipset they looked very disjointed, disorganized, and I don't know what the world Freaky Zeke was doing. Oh, man, he was hilarious. So I don't know if you know this, man, but Freaky actually um, owned. Do you remember Palmetto's in Greensboro? Did you ever go there? Palmetto's? Nah, I, I was I was a square. I didn't really partake in the nightclub life. So, so no, it wasn't. It was actually a, um, it was a restaurant, um, but it was it was downtown and it was really it was open for like two years. But Freaky Ziki was one of the part owners there. So Dipset has um, a pretty solid um hold in north carolina because a couple of them have like businesses down here and so that was one of the businesses that they owned um supposedly they had some tax issues after a few years but but yeah freaky ziki i've uh i've had a chance to see him in person um but he was he's, he's funny man he's a comedian i think i think that he just uh he plays his role very well he, he gets stuff hype 
Um, but he he I don't think he's anybody to be taken seriously. But you can you can definitely laugh at him the whole time because he was wilding. It was really, really funny to see him in person doing that. Right. Well, what would have made the battle more funny, in my opinion, if the locks would have said the uh, dip said, hey, let me get an extra water, B. And somebody bring out a bag of potato chips, say real rappers get washed every day, B. But you're gonna be all right though. Yo, no ribs, yo. no soy sauce, <laughs> no champagne. You get nothing. Man, that is my movie paid in full. Actually, Classic. so for my thirtieth, yeah, for my thirtieth birthday, Desiree threw me and um, being, you know, I was born in the eighties. She threw me an eighties themed uh, birthday party, and basically, I was, um, I was eight Mitch coming into uh, into the party, like you know, when in the movie where like all the money is flying and stuff. Like mm-hmm. she set it up in that way, and. Okay. Um, some of my boys dressed like they were from paid and full. Everybody had on 80s gear. Uh, so that was a very, very fun birthday party. But yeah, man, I'm I am very, very much while I am North Carolina born and bred, I have a lot of uh ties to an affinity and an affinity for New York. Um, to the point that in New York hip hop, especially, um, one of my cousins is um a huge DJ. He's been DJing in New York uh, at, I'm forgetting the radio station's name, but he's been DJing there for basically my entire life um he was in high school when i was born so as far as i can remember he's been djing in new york so like new york hip-hop has always had a a huge um impact on on who i am and so i couldn't i couldn't miss that moment bro right and speaking of new york hip-hop uh nas just released king's disease 2 and then az released the follow-up to his 1995 classic do or die, do or die two. And then Tuesday, it was another versus battle between Fat Joe and Ja Rule. I just got done seeing the battle as we're taping the podcast, and I underestimated Ja Rule. Ja Rule was huge before 50 came in, and we all know oh, how yeah. that turned out. It's sad. That, that was sad uh, how 50 really destroyed his career. Um, but I think that one of the reasons that happened, I think it's a life lesson, Ja Rule gave 50 Cent too much energy after it happened. Like he could have, he, he, that was a battle that he just wasn't able to win, but he kept trying to go back. Like that clap back track, um, he, you know, that was, that was a straight diss. And, you know, it's like, yo, don't give him the energy. Like keep staying in your lane. Like it's like, it's like the Fabulous and, um, and Jada Kiss uh versus like stay in your lane when you try to step into somebody else's lane you're going to lose and so i think that uh that that's what happened to jaru's career but yeah that that versus battle man was was beastie and i i truly believe that fat joe is a better lyricist eight days a week um you you can't argue with that but jaru had more hits and he was able to play those hits um and so, I mean, I don't know, I won't call winner or loser because I think it was just a great showing of, uh, of you know, artistry, but Ja Rule held his own the whole time. And so did Joe, like Joe, Joe has, like he said, 26 years of hits or 26 years of hip hop. Um, and a lot of those are, a lot of those years involved hit music. So, you know, you, you, I couldn't call a winner or loser, but I liked the, uh, the showmanship. Right. And it also highlighted, in my opinion, Ja Rule's set list for Versus, just how huge Murder, Inc.'s run was with him and Ashanti. I mean, Ashanti was white Mm -hmm. hot. Oh, yeah. Was that that woman is gorgeous. I told my wife, I said, you know, you know, if I won't marry, I would try to meet her. (laughs) um, Ashanti, Ashanti is tough. uh, and, And we we had we had some good music, I think, during our high school years, man, during our formative years that really um, made us appreciate what hip hop should be. Um, I can't say the same for kids these days. Like some yeah. of the, the hip hop these days, I can't, I just can't get with it. And it's not about like, you know, anything about like, you know, people being like, what's, what's my man's name? Takashi, his weird hair. It's not about that. It's not about uh, Lil Nas X. It's about the, the actual lyricism and showmanship that went into the art and the craft. And I could see that during our, during our era, Cats studied the old heads. They studied their rap. I think that um, that kind of respect um, and homage is not it's not paid anymore. Nope. We had the snap era. Now, when I first heard Laffy Taffy, <laughs> I think it was either at somebody's dorm room or if you remember Alexander Devros. I was oh, yeah. listening to it. I was like, what in the world is this? Then kind of found out coming out of Atlanta. And then not too long after that, T-Pain comes out with I'm Sprung. And I'm thinking, God. 
this is the most terrible song I've ever heard. But both of those movements end up blowing up. And then also sandwiched in, we had the Crunk Era, Little John, yeah. Crime Mob, 3-6. I mean, Nucky Three Buck is a rallying cry. And also Pastor yeah. Choi, No More Playing GA. Mess oh, around yeah. and find out when that record comes on. Man, I, uh, so when we were in high school, I played football. And um, one of my one of my still good friends, Matt Jenkins, uh, he put me on to Pastor Troy's group. And I didn't know he had a group at first, um, but he had a group called DSGB, Down South Georgia Boys. And so um, we used to listen to them before the games. I mean, this is when we had, uh, you know, uh, portable CD players, Discman and everything like that. And so you'd be on the bus to another game and you'd be just getting in the zone with some some PT and, and DSGB. And I mean, that was... Uh, that was a, a really good time in hip hop. Like, yeah, it was, it was violent. And that's the, that's the problem, right? It was not, it was not very positive music that was being played, but it will get you in a zone when you needed to knock somebody on their, on their backside. Right. And also a lot of it at the time, very homophobic, very misogynistic yeah. and yeah. seeing how we are evolved now as a society with the Me Too movement and the LGBTQ community saying, no, we're not going to live like we once did. It seems like hip hop has kind of sort of taken the high role and has grown up, like Jay-Z said, and changed mm-hmm. clothes, this to throw back, get buttoned up. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, you know, I was thinking recently, some of the lyrics that were rapped when we were younger, you can't, you can't rap those anymore. Um, the, you know people using the f word the derogatory word toward uh homosexual people like you don't use that language anymore and i'm glad i'm glad right because i personally um i'm sure as like a, you know in middle school kids say that stuff i stopped using that word when i found out what it meant um and that it was a direct reference to um burning people at the state because of their, their gender uh, or their, their sexual orientation so i mean i'm glad that we're growing up i'm glad that we've matured as a culture um, I need us to do it toward one another, right? So don't just stop talking derogatorily about women. Don't just stop talking derogatorily about the LGBTQ plus community. But you know, let's stop speaking hate toward other Black people as well. Like let's let's try to change these these lyrics and and spit some uplift. Um, but but you know, I think that I think that that's the progress that we're making. You got artists like J Cole um, out there. You know, Kendrick Lamar. Um, what's my man's name? Um, of course, Common uh logic like there are a lot of hip-hop artists right now that are black and speaking into black positivity and that's what i'm loving to see right and you mentioned j cole and i want to talk about nc's role in hip-hop you know you have j cole out of vietnam aka fayetteville rhapsody out of snow hill then of course who laid the foundation for that was little brother and mm-hmm. then Big Daddy Kane lives in North Carolina. And we can go on ski beats and about yep. how North Carolina has played a pivotal role, not in just hip hop, but music in general. Sunshine Anderson, Anthony Hamilton, John Jodeci, Coltrane, um, I mean, yeah. Maceo Parker, the list goes on and on. Yes, yes. Yeah, man. Um, music in North Carolina is uh, is a beautiful thing. Actually, um, I recorded the I recorded an episode that I just released this past week at Soul Lab Studios in Greensboro. Uh, one of my boys owns that. The Hamiltones record there. So, I mean, you've got a bunch of great music acts. Uh, he's recorded with uh, Jada Kiss, Jim Jones. Like, when cats come through here, um, he has a, a very, very quality studio that people work at, work out of. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really appreciate the musical culture of North Carolina actually so i was looking on my i don't know if you noticed but i was looking at my bookshelf a couple times trying to figure something out right so i found it so this book right here mm-hmm. i don't know how big you are on jazz but you know the name Wynton marcellus yes yes so Wynton marcellus the premier trumpeteer of our lifetime so Wynton, when i was uh and see like i told you i was gonna drop a gym right mm-hmm. so when i was a kid my dad was a sports and entertainment agent so he worked with musicians um athletes um, just like on getting their contracts together. And so we ended up, he ended up doing some, uh, some work with Wynton. When I was a kid, that's how he met Wynton. Wynton came through Chapel Hill and he ended up uh, coming to our house afterward. So at this point, man, my dad was, you know, like, like I said, he was an agent. And so Wynton came to our house, the band came to our house. My parents threw him a little after show party. 
and I have a section in Winton's autobiography. The section is called Daryl Sings the Blues. And so, I mean, it's, it's just crazy to me because for the rest of my life and for, you know, my son's life and his son's life, they're, you know, one of their patriarchs will be named in the book of a Grammy award-winning jazz musician. Uh, so your music, man, music has always played a huge role in my life, uh, whether it be jazz, hip hop, R&B. Um, I'm big on rock music too, like pop rock, classic rock. Um, when I was younger, I played piano for a while. Um, so classical music, like music, I think transcends cultures. Like you don't have to like a genre of music to appreciate the artistry behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, right. and so that that's that's one thing that I'm really glad that you have this uh this platform here to talk about about music and you know the unity that it brings and the culture around it. Yeah, because I believe uh, Nina Simone wasn't she born in North Carolina and lived there for for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I believe I believe she was, and I think Tupac's mom was born in Lumberton. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yep, and I think Benjamin Crump is from. Uh, Lumberton as well born lived in Lumberton for a little bit and then also Tamika Mallory's dad is from my hometown of North Carolina and uh full disclosure um she's also my cousin oh wow yeah we're um third third cousins uh her dad and my dad are cousins so we're related down the line that's what's up But I want to talk about music for a real quick moment. I don't know if you knew this, but um, at the School of Music at UNCG, um, you know how they'll have uh, guest faculty members come and teach for STED before they go off to their next school. So Mm -hmm. this man ends up coming up teaching at the School of Music, kind of find out that he is a well-known musician, plays trumpet, and his name was Fred Wesley. But I didn't know until later on while I was doing my show at UNCG and after he had left that that was Fred Wesley from Fred Wesley and the JB, JB's with James Brown. Wow. And had I would have known that, I would have scooped him and got him on my radio show at WAG for an interview. I'm like, man. Yeah. But the one I thing we heard that show. Yeah, man. Uh, so the one thing I am grateful for UNCG was the awesome selection of speakers that they would get. To come mm-hmm. and speak, you know, we had a chance to see uh, Cornell West, uh, yeah. Tavis Smiley, Chuck D, uh, Michael Eric Dyson, Reverend Al Sharpton, like you mentioned, Michael uh, Eric Dyson. Uh, the list goes um, on and Bernice on. Bernice King came one year. Yeah, it was. Uh, yes, yeah, they they really did a good job of selecting some phenomenal speakers uh, for for different events at UNCG, and they they put some some money and some effort behind that. Right, because I remember uh, going to see uh, Dr. Cornel West and how mm-hmm. I got there maybe an hour or two before Cone Ballroom opened up because I knew it was going to be thick as thieves in there. And it was literally standing room only. People were standing on the walls. You couldn't get a seat. So I got a chance to ask him a quick question really quick before he got a chance to speak. And I was like, oh, okay. But man, he is one of the top intellects you know, of our time. And just to hear him oh, speak, yeah. I was just like, well, Michael Eric Dyson as well. I somehow finagled yeah. my way to like a pre-speech little reception, you know, because he's like, my man interviewed me. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him in the spot like my and one. So, you know, <laughs> UNCG just really just opened our horizons to, you know, diverse ways of thinking, ways of critical thinking and also fun social aspects, because I know some people probably had a great time pre-gaming before going to Alexander Devereaux's, the N-Club, or Rumba Latina on Thursday nights catching that heat bus. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, it was uh, it was really, really good times. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I would love to do it again. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's it, that it was a it was a one and done experience. And it served its purpose at the time. Like at this point, I can't party like I used to. Nope. Um, even even having the, the brand narratives of wine and whiskey, right? I have an amazing whiskey collection. I don't drink like I did when I was an undergrad. Like, I can't, my body, like I'm I'm in my 30s, like I'm gaining weight. My midsection, like my, my pants aren't fitting the same way. <laughs> like I can't do the things I did at that age. But I but I'm glad that I did it when I did it so that now I can can look back and um 
and just laugh about a lot of it and, and enjoy those memories. Right. And speaking of college with social media and how everything has changed with me too, how do you think the college experience has changed for the current generation of students? Whereas social media was still in its infancy when we were at UNCG, but now it's everywhere and you can't really enjoy it as much because you can't be as discreet. Then you also got to be more cautious with things, especially, you know, with ladies walking on campus alone at night and you just got a call box, which definitely wouldn't fly now. Yeah, man, even outside of just the, the Me Too movement, but, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and the hashtag everybody who uh, sadly is, is getting murdered um, either by police or by, by individuals, I'll say that there is a, a plus to this this level of awareness right it's that people are more cautious hopefully with the decisions they're making um whatever the reason is right it may be they're scared that they'll get caught uh, maybe they actually are having a change of mind either way if it's keeping people safer keeping people more uh more healthy more comfortable that that's great um now hopefully we reach a point in history where it's not that you're afraid of being caught but it's that you know that you're making a poor decision um but i i do think that the constant uh, spotlight that is put on the way men interact with women uh, these days is very positive. Um, you know, getting rid of some of this misogyny and the patriarchy, um, the, the excuse that boys will be boys isn't flying anymore, especially when you're talking about not boys, but young men um, who are in their late teens, early twenties, and still trying to use the, the excuse that boys will be boys. Come on, man. Like we we've got to grow past that because while it may not be um, actively committing rape, it is promoting rape culture. It is promoting misogyny. It is promoting um, a level of chauvinism and sexism that not only is it unhealthy, but it's just plain wrong. Right. And like Queen Latifah said on UNITY, who you calling a you know what? So yeah. that definitely doesn't fly now. The locker room, boys will be boys, mm -hmm. golf club, fraternity house mentality. Definitely not now in, in today's time, in today's culture. Because if you look at, you know, some of the activities that were done at undergraduate, you definitely cannot do it now. And it's definitely a different era. And kids now move different. Yep. Yeah, man. Um but I'm, I'm glad, right? Like I want to raise my son in a world where he, he knows that some of this stuff isn't, it's not okay. You know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be transparent, right? When I was in middle school, I, you know, your boys would dare you. I bet you won't go smack a butt. And like you, you do it. And my, my father, when I got, I got in trouble for it. Right. So my father was like, yeah, nah, you're going to apologize to her. Like, this is not what we do. This is not how we carry ourselves. Um, and I think that that now it's it's more acceptable to tell kids at a younger age that's not what we do like you you know hey if your friends tell you you're supposed to do something like no keep your hands to yourself um and really really mean it like boys or girls like keep your hands to yourself because when i was a kid and i heard keep your hands to yourself it was more so like yo don't get into fights but now it's like parents are telling their sons hey keep your hands to yourself you know unless you're invited to engage with this this other young person you know, just be cool, be chill. And I think that that's, um, that's an important lesson. And so I'm glad to see the progress that is happening um, in, in that way. Right, because if she says no, that means no, stop it there. Because like yeah. you in middle school, you know, your boys, you know, they smack it up, flip it, rub it down, pop, tighten up. But, and also those long bus trips, if you know about them long bus trips, them field <laughs> trips, and the chaperones sit up in the front, if, if you know, you know, I never partake in any of that activity. I just want to give a disclaimer for that. But just knowing how, you know, that behavior nowadays is unacceptable. Oh, but yeah. going into fatherhood for you, um, how has fatherhood changed you for the better? Oh, man. Um, so it is the best, toughest, excuse me, it is the best, most difficult decision I've ever made. Right. Um, and it's a blessing. Um, I would not trade Avery for the world. He is just every day I wake up and I'm like, even if I'm exhausted, right? Because usually I am, you know, he'll wake me up and I'm 
still tired from the day before when he was trying to, you know, he needed to wake up for a diaper change or something. And so I am, I'm exhausted, but he smiles at me and I'm like, yo, I can do this again today. Um, it has leveled up my, um, my focus and my determination. Um, I just, I really know that I have no choice but to give him more opportunities than I had, just like my parents worked to give me more opportunities than they had. Um, and that's how it should be. So it's a, it's a great feeling. Um, but it, it's definitely not always a walk in the park, especially with a five month old. Like there, there are days where like, especially during COVID too, right? Mm. Like when I'm, we're not comfortable sending him to daycare yet um, because it's our first child and we don't know how things are, are progressing. And so to each family their own, but it's just, we both are privileged enough to be able to work from home have flexible jobs, but there are days where I'm trying to, to really focus on work and I'm just hearing whining and crying. And so, I mean, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? I'm able to see everything he does throughout the day. I'm able to see when he's a, you know, his first time rolling over, or I'm able to be there his first time eating um, like a solid food. But at the same time, it's like, wow, I'm trying to work and I don't have the luxury of putting my child in daycare right now. So, you know, COVID has definitely thrown a wrench in what I thought the parenting experience would be. Mm, yeah and definitely gotta sleep when they sleep get it in when you yeah. can and uh enjoy that favorite snack or beverage when you can mm-hmm. get that me time now i want to go into marriage really quick and how's that change you but i don't know if you know how i met my wife so i'm just going to give you the cliff notes version so eHarmony yeah. 2011 we started talking we were flying back and forth to different uh destinations to meet each other every couple months or so then in 2014 i made the leap to pack up everything that could fit in my broke down car and stacked up some money for my little part-time gig drove cross country my mom her boyfriend and myself from north carolina to mexico and uh, ended up living in albuquerque for about a little over a year then ended up moving to Farmington New Mexico which is three hours north of Albuquerque where I currently reside and on October 1st it'll be five years of marriage for us wow man congratulations yeah we're uh, October the 11th and it'll be six years of marriage for us and so you know I think that you uh you learn a lot about yourself in marriage right you learn um about what is and isn't important to you. You learn um, how to grow and how to develop and how to become more selfless. And it's a, it's always a journey, right? You're always working to get better. My godparents just hit 56 years of marriage on September 11th. Um, so they're born, I mean, they were married in 1965 and they say they're still like, they're still enjoying it. Um, they have a beautiful marriage. They have what, what I would aspire to at that point. But um you know, it's, it's still a journey and they, they had their moments where it was tough, but they pushed through it. And I mean, I think it's the same thing with us. You know, we've had our challenges. We've had the, the moments where we're like, yo, my friends are single. Uh, you know, what, what is that like sometimes? But you, you choose to stay even in the, the storms and the challenging moments and the, the tears maybe that are shared because you know that this is your person. Right, because I know for me, the big lesson I had to learn in marriage is being selfless because I grew up as the only child. So I never really had to learn how to think of someone other than myself. But when my wife came into the picture, that's where I had to start learning. Oh, it's not about me. I got to think about someone else's needs other than my own. And then like you were saying, when you want to go out with your friends, you got to handle with the Neo line and the Carrie Hilson joint love knock you down y'all go ahead i'm gonna kick it with my girl today yeah yeah man um and that's that's real and i i'm learning that more and more especially now with the with the child like you know tonight i've got the uh, men's fellowship coming and i'm hosting them at the house but it's like finding ways to do both so it's um finding um like, like for instance like, I was like okay we got the baby i don't want to be out and hanging out i want to be able to help so i'll have people at the house we'll chill on my, on our patio. And if I need to come in and change a diaper, guess what? I can come in help out and go back outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to find creative ways. And before um, I get y'all out of here, can we talk about how the narrow podcast came to be? 
Yeah, man. So for five years, I actually had a blog. Um, so I had the Daniels Daily Reader that I started in 2012. Um, and for five years, I wrote five days a week about young professionals and professional development. Um, and then I realized, you know what? Fewer people are reading uh, blogs anymore. And people are actually listening to podcasts a lot more. I wasn't a podcast listener. I'm a reader. I love to read. Um, you can see right here behind me. I've got this bookshelf. I've got another bookshelf. I've got, you know, more books than, um, than you can see right now or than are in this, this room. But I also knew that I wanted to have an impact. And so I knew I could speak well. I knew that I was articulate. Um, I said, let me see how I sound on, on a microphone. And so I bought a pretty inexpensive mic with the Amazon gift card that I had gotten from some job, I think, uh, as like a prize. And I tried it out and then I said, all right, well, I've done this. Let me try to get another mic. So season two, I, I leveled up my microphones. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm doing well. And um, I've leveled up on season three. But I, one thing is for me, it was supposed to be the narratives over whiskey podcast. Um, I'm a big whiskey fan. Wine is cool, but whiskey is uh, my go-to spirit. Um, the thing is, I realized everybody doesn't like whiskey. And if I'm going to have guests on here, uh, I need to be able to, to appeal to them as well. So I said, if you don't drink whiskey, but you do drink, right? So everybody doesn't drink. One of my boys came on, he had coffee because he doesn't drink. He's a police officer or excuse me, a sheriff. And so um, I was like, you know, you have coffee or whatever. But if you do, if you do partake in libations, if you don't drink whiskey, you'll probably have a glass of wine. So I was like, narratives over wine and whiskey it has a nice ring to it. And um, I had UNCG alumnus Tully Murray. He did my um, logo for it. He does almost all my graphic design right now. Um, he did my logo for my photography company. He did it for my branding company. Like he is uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, artist. And so, yeah, I just, I developed this brand to the point that now, you know, got sponsorships. Um, I get free samples of, of whiskey and different um, wines and things like that. And I built up this brand so that it can continue to go further. And really, it's not even about the wine or the whiskey. It's about the conversations that we have while having a good drink. Um, so check me out um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Narrow Podcast, N-A-R-R-O-W Podcast. Um, and I, I do giveaways. So I do like wine and whiskey giveaways. So yeah, check me out. Yeah, it's definitely a great podcast. One of the podcasts that I really love to listen to. And hey, if you ever need me as a guest, I have my H2O and be on standby, bro. My man. Hey, look, and we will do that. It's uh it'll it'll be a fun, fun combo. Yes, sir. And uh, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we wrap and also plug again your social media? And also, I want to say thank you for the code group. It's been a godsend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Um, so yeah. Shout outs. Uh, shout out to at I can you can vegan. That is my wife's brand. Um, she has an amazing vegan platform trying to push uh, black people predominantly to look more at their their dietary intake. Um, I'm not vegan. I still love a good steak or burger from time to time. But I'll say that like I've developed a healthier diet um, as I've increased my my vegetable intake. So check her out. Um, check out uh at shop never settle um on instagram never settles uncg alumnus as well uh vincent mclean has an amazing clothing brand um at mr george achenpong that's my financial advisor as well as one of my big brothers in my fraternity um has an amazing brand trying to build black wealth um I mean, there, there are a ton. I'm shouting them out all the time on my platform. And so I'll say you can follow my podcast at Narrow Podcast, uh, N-A-R-R-O-W Podcast, uh, or check me out on Instagram at Daryl Daniels Jr. Um, and I'm always shouting out black and brown businesses um, because, you know, oh, oh one more, uh, at Sensational Sangria. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a ton of amazing, amazing black-owned brands that I rock with. And I encourage you to go find some and share them like, because that's how we build, build this generational wealth. Yeah, most definitely that. And real quickly touch on gentrification and how that's affected, you know, Derm, RTP, the triad, oh, yeah. and how we can try to combat it to make sure that folks can still live in areas at a reasonable price. So that way they're not priced out. Well, I think it goes to, uh, 
to really making sure that your your voice is heard in voting and making sure that you're voting in people who are going to um if people people anybody can sell the land they want to sell right the problem is property taxes going up and pushing people out of these communities um we need to stop that from happening that can be changed with policy right you can have a tax limit set for people who've been in these communities for gen- for generations um the problem is these communities get greedy they want more and more and more and they push out the people who've held the community down for for generations uh, my grandmother has a home that is maybe eight minutes from downtown Durham, really prime realty prices or the, the um, she's paid off the home. Thankfully it's a family house that we've had for now four generations. Um, but the thing is, you know, the property tax keeps going up. A lot of times we'll end up selling the homes for lower than their value so that we can get out of paying taxes on them. Um, but you know, let's let's work on keeping these families in the home. And if you can afford to pay grandma's uh, property taxes, get together with your cousins and do that and have her pass the house down generation to generation so that we can maintain ownership of our communities and um, not have people trying to trying to push us out of them. Right. And if you need further explanation, just look at the Lawrence Fishburne, Cuba Gunn Jr., Morris Chestnut scene and Boys in the Hood where they're at the billboard. Mm-hmm. If you know, you know. Just wanted to get that burning question out before we wrap. You can catch this interview on audio and video format wherever you stream podcasts and on the YouTube channel Beyond the Album Cover. That's the same name on Facebook and other forms of social media. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Renaissance man, narratives <laughs> over wine and whiskey, great dad, and jack of all trades, master of none, Mr. Daryl Daniels. Daryl, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover, bro. I appreciate it. My man, I appreciate you, Jay. Yes, sir.